and well, ooh, hello. <laughs> hello and welcome to Into the Aether. It's a low-key video game podcast, and my name is Brendan Bigley. I'm Stephen Hilger, and literally a surprise to me, we've got a guest today, uh, a very good friend of mine. You could find a lot of his writing on Esquire and a lot of his films online. Uh, my friend Dominic Nero. Hi guys, so great to be here. Huge fan of the show. Oh, thank you so much. I'm I'm excited that you're here because I think literally the last two to three tweets that I've sent from either my personal account or the Into the Aether Twitter account, you have responded back by mentioning that you want to talk about Wii Sports Resort. Um, so I I literally, like, as soon as you sent it today, I literally thought, you know what, just fuck it. Give him the platform. I want to hear about Wii Sports Resort in 2020. What else is happening? You know? Yeah. I feel like I, I tricked think, you guys into putting me on your show. I was going to say, you've this secreted yourself onto the air, basically, into the aether. Um, and I messaged Brendan and I said, this would actually be fun, quoting your tweet. And then you didn't respond to me. And then Don showed up when we started recording. Yes. So here we are. Yeah. Uh, Dom and I were secretly having a conversation behind your back about this. Because I thought it'd be funny to surprise you with, but here we are. Um, here we are, Dom. You've been playing Wii Sports Resort, and I <laughs> sure do want to hear about it. You, you're literally holding the manual for the video game. We were just talking before we started recording about how yes. we both miss yes. video game manuals. Let me tell you about Wii Sports Resort, guys. Yeah. I don't know how I'd be making it through this time without it. When we all first, you know, started, I'm sheltered in in the studio apartment with my girlfriend here in Brooklyn, and I really need like an active game. Mm -hmm. And because like going outside itself can be like scary because of all the masks and everything. And yeah. and I'm in, I'm in Crown Heights where there's been like a big spike of uh, cases here. So I've been looking for some way to be active inside. And I looked through the Switch library and all I could really find was like ARMS, which I'd, I downloaded, but then I missed the time when you could play it for free. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I tried Mario and Sonic at the Olympic Games, which is oh one God. of the strangest. The story mode in that game is probably one of the strangest experiences I've ever had in, in game. Is it like Lynchian? Yeah, I, I feel like that would be like Lynchian, that game. I mean, it's like the, there's like like maybe like one minute of gameplay and then like 20 minutes of you just watching these characters talk to each other. About what? That's what are so they talking strange. about? The whole conceit is like all the characters from Mario and Sonic World get sucked into a like old school, like 2D, like video game console. Okay. So they're all like sprites. So most of the game is you just like watching them just like there's just two of them on screen. They're not animated at all. There's just these little text boxes. And and then you finally do an event, which if you're doing like the hundred meter dash, it lasts like ten seconds. And then you have to watch like like literally like five minutes of Eggman talking to like Waluigi. It's so <laughs> that's, that's a dream that I've had, Dom. You're telling me that I can purchase I, this video game and witness that for real? I was so excited to play it and I couldn't stand it for more than like like 20 minutes. That's a bummer because I, I was also kind of excited about that. And like that's just, that's it reminds me and this is a game that you liked, but it reminds me of the story setup of the Mario Rabbids game you were playing recently. Oh, yeah, it's like yeah. this is a thing that doesn't really need a plot setup. Like, uh, yeah, I, don't, be, I don't need a story. Be, especially like 
Mario and Sonic of the Olympics, I already have all the information I need. I don't need to know like what right, dimensions the, the title coming is the from. exposition. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I, if I'm a stickler for like um rings and coins in the same planar dimension, I will not have it. You know, like that's not why I purchased Sonic Mario Olympics. Now I kind of want to get it though. Yeah, You've the, done the, the big inverse. twist at the end of the game is that the coins fit into the rings exactly and it makes an even bigger coin that they can both collect. <laughs> and Egg, Eggman oh. is like the pentagram matches perfectly with the demon's <laughs> horns. Yeah, it, it's, like it's the deep, fallen deep star lore. of Lucifer. Sorry, I got really caught it's up. It's deep. It. Like it's there's a lot of lore in this game, and I don't know why. <laughs> the sad part is the events in the game themselves are not very fun, and that was all I wanted was to like yeah. you know do the thing that you used to do with the Wii. So then I just went on eBay and I just bought a Wii. <laughs> and, That's awesome. Which is like 80 bucks for a Wii with Wii Sports Resort and a Wii Motion Plus. And it showed up at my apartment and I disinfected it. And then me and my girlfriend have been playing Wii Sports Resort like constantly. And I'm convinced that it's like the closest thing to a perfect game, especially for right now. Honestly, like I think that I haven't, I, I, I have my Wii with me, so I could actually do this. I only have Wii Sports like vanilla though. I don't have the resort version. Um, <laughs> but like, if you were to look at the Wii library, I think Wii Sports is like still one of the best and like has yet to really be recreated. I think like everyone kind of wanted that on the Switch and there was that like weird 1-2 Switch one, game two that Switch, was like yeah. a third party version of that. And the irony too is that the Switch has really good motion controls that like show up every now yeah. and then, but no one has like, other than ARMS, no one has made a game like for that. Yeah, it's wild um, that even, because I'm playing a, like a lot of Ring Fit, well, not a lot, but like I've been playing more Ring Fit than usual, you know, because for the exact same reasons you were playing Wii Sports Resort. But when you start that game up, you have to put one of the Joy-Cons into to the the ring itself and then another one gets attached to your leg and on the main menu it shows that it's perfectly tracking one-to-one everything that you're doing on your leg or with the ring so like the tech is in the thing so where is yeah. Wii Sports Resort 2? We Sport uh, Islands is what I want. Mm. I wrote uh, I wrote this article for Esquire a few weeks ago about this about how like at, at the end of the Wii like the end of the Wii and the Wii U run I feel like I don't know how you guys feel, but I was so exhausted of the motion controls. Like, I was so exhausted of getting a game that was good on a different console, and then it came to the Wii, and they just replaced, like, one of the buttons with, like, a waggle feature. Yeah. I was I hated that so much that when the Switch came out and it seemed like it wasn't going to rely on motion controls, it was, like, great. I was so excited just to have, like, a Nintendo console again. But then, yeah. like, now, like, two or however many years later, <laughs> all I want is, is Wii motion controls again. Well, I, I think it's having the option is, is the selling point. Because I think with the Wii, like, any game for the Wii that was designed around the motion controls, which was pretty much every, like, first-party game, yeah. ended up working pretty well. I think, I think the perfect example, I think we talked about this, Brendan, was Twilight Princess, where, like, you never had to use the motion controls to do anything that was, like, demanding, but you could just waggle it and you would swing your sword. Right. Um, and then, the, and then I that think, turned into, like, a gross homunculan version of itself in Skyward Sword, where they, they used the Wii Motion Plus to make it so you were solving puzzles by swiping in different ways, which, like, I'm if the rumors are true that that's going to come out for Switch sometime soon, that would be very surprising if they kept that in the game, because so many people... Yeah. I, I think it's very misaligned at this point. I think the, the exhaustion, though, came with the 
fact that like any third party developer was like, we don't want to force motion controls onto our project. And the same with the Wii U where like they had to have something on the gamepad. Yes. Even if that wasn't like integral to the game. So like I think the Switch, weirdly enough, has the same stuff the Wii U and the and the Wii did, but it's like there if you need it and yeah. not like there by default. Yeah. Um but I think you're right. I think like there are there is a void for like a physically involved game or like even um I would love personally like a duck hunt esque game to come back. Yeah. Like have some type of like arcadey either like DDR mat or like a time crisis like pedal. Like I really have a strange and maybe maybe it's it's because we're indoors, but like I think there is a place for the like rock band plastic finalia that was once like in everyone's college dorm room. Yeah. I just think that like it's as if that era happened all at once and then never again. Where I think you could sprinkle it throughout the timeline rather than like, you know, just do it all in 2007 and then never again. Did you know that Rock Band uh, was still adding songs up until like a couple weeks ago? And they still might oh, be adding songs? Really? really? Yeah, like if if you have Rock Band, they're still just throwing stuff on. Um, like, I like would play Rock hits. Band right now. If I had Rock Band, I'd be playing it constantly. I think yeah. I would too. I think I, I very sincerely do. Like I just want to, I want to get up. I want to like, I don't always want to do this. Like I want to play games the way we all play games, but right now it just feels so important to like not just be sitting of course yeah especially where you and i are dom at least i don't know about you steven but like it's been raining for like a week and is supposed to rain for another week which isn't exactly super conducive to going outside and exercising in any way shape or form so uh having ring fit and also i got just dance which i don't know if i mentioned that on the show but i've been playing just dance also but like having those two games is is, like feels weirdly crucial (laughs) in a way that i didn't expect it to yeah but I think to me, I think that Wii Sports Resort, like after playing it as much as I have, is like the dream of the motion controller, like fully realized. Yeah. Because it's it's so uh, precise in the use of motion controls, but also like anyone can just pick up a remote and know exactly what to do. But I've been playing this table tennis game like for <laughs> hours on end. And maybe I'm just going like crazy. <laughs> <laughs> but I've been, I played it for probably like four hours yesterday, just trying to become pro at table tennis. And then like the layers of depth in the motion controllers is, is like insane. I, I don't think like, I don't think we ever talked about it at the time when it came out because that's all the Wii was doing. But now looking back, it's crazy how, how like deep it was. Yeah. I mean, even in the original Wii Sports, I remember having that game alongside Twilight Princess and like being split between the two of them. Cause yeah. like I was all in on boxing, which is one of the like less liked games of that oh, package. But yeah. like, yeah, like if you stuck to the one player, it got to the point where you could get like golden gloves and like it was fucking impossible. Like really cool. And and I think you and I share an, a, a love for this like non sequitur where like all the characters are just randomly generated people with like generic names. So it's yeah. like, why is like Duncan the final boss yeah. of boxing? Or like, <laughs> you know? Chris is like the pro table tennis guy. The other yeah. thing is they show up in the crowd sometimes. Yeah. Like I'm playing this guy Martin again and again and again. I can't beat him. And then I'm playing like bowling and I see Martin just standing there. <laughs> He's watching. He's studying you for the next match. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Martin? that reminds i think we talked about this uh dom but like um in the very first mario golf for some reason like there were the mario characters and then they're just random people named like sunny and like harry uh it was so bizarre and i remember when sunny plum plum yeah plum was like peaches like 
real life persona. Uh, <laughs> and Sonny, when he got like a good golf score, would go, it's a sunny day and throw off his hat. Uh, and it just was such a weird, cause that Mario golf is made by Camelot who make the golden sun yeah. games. And like pretty oh, much it's okay. like, they mostly have done like that and Mario tennis. Um, so they're a third-party company. They are also the reason Waluigi exists because he first showed up in Mario Tennis. Yeah. So like, it's this weird power play to just throw in characters that are like totally the least Mario. Imagine if Sunny ever. had become like Waluigi levels of, of famous within <laughs> Mario lore. <laughs> well, I wonder if Nintendo went up to Camelot after Mario Golf and they're like, everyone thinks Harry and Sunny are whack. Like, if you're gonna put new <laughs> characters in, they gotta be Mario esque. And they're like, okay, how about this? And it was Waluigi. <laughs> <laughs> is this good what did they look like oh like because i i'm thinking about when um when when super mario odyssey was announced and you saw mario next to a, a real human man in new donk city yeah. and, and how mortifying that was so like w- did sunny look like a real human person they all had the same like kind of ff7 blocky mm. polygon bodies yeah. so they all they all aesthetically belong to the same universe but okay. like See, that's a game where I, I would want some Sonic Mario Olympic levels of explanation. Because, you know, I think I think we need a story of why Plum, Sonny, and Harry are, are golfing Yoshi. Um, it does make you wonder in the lore of, of Mario as a whole, like what everyone else in the Mushroom Kingdom is up to and what they're doing and what their daily lives are like. Because Mario's life seems very exciting. But is Sonny just playing golf all the time? Like, is that just... Stick like how did how did he make all of his money to to play golf constantly every weekend? You know. Yeah, yeah, that's very true. I also wonder if in the Mario timeline, Mario Golf was at like the very end and integrates into the real world in some way. Um, oh, but any, anyway, I'd love to hear more about Wii Sports yeah, please, Resort. Yeah, please tell us more about Wii Sports <laughs> Resort. Okay, can I can I tell you guys a little bit about what I've been going through because I have no one to talk to about this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, please. We're here for you. You, you're the secret of yourself on the show. It's your floor. <laughs> okay. So I took some notes. So when you enter Wii Sports Resort, you enter by skydiving, okay. which implies that once you're on the island, there's no way out. <laughs> kind of like a Fortnite Battle Royale kind of situation. Yeah, like, And it seems like the people on the island are like, to me, they, they seem like adults, like vacationing because they're all wearing Hawaiian shirts. Mm-hmm. And they all seem to be like the same size. And I, I don't get the vibe that they're kids. So it's like a, an island for adults. <laughs> Everyone here is to, seemingly an adult. Yeah. And, but, but you have to compete. And the, uh, the strangest thing is the sword showdown mode. If you guys remember that. Yes, one. I do. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Which is a level in Smash Bros. now. Oh, yeah. You're, uh, you're on like that circular platform and you're fighting like another person. And when you win, the person falls like hundreds of feet into this water pit. And then all of the people of Wii Sports Resort are like, yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) And then when you beat that mode, you advance to this like, which I think is like the main, the main thing in Wii Sports Resort to me is this like sword showdown, like village thing where you have a sword and like a helmet and you're fighting by yourself, everyone in the Wii Sports Resort. And there's like tribal music playing and they're like, everyone's coming at you and you're fighting them all yourself. 
Which to me implies that the only way you escape Leaf's Sports Resort is by like fighting your way out. Yeah. So is a, it like a violent a exodus, yeah. Island or like a the kind of like a battle royale situation. Is yeah. it like a Hunger Games sort of thing? It seems like the kind of thing if I was if I was to take all all of your bullet points and kind of like weave them into a narrative, what it, what it sounds like is you you accept the Nook Island getaway package. Tom Nook flies you <laughs> over the island and you skydive in, thinking that you're gonna have this like relaxing resort time. <laughs> And it's only a matter of time before everybody starts to figure out that they can't leave. But at first they think it's great. Like, why would I ever leave until they try to until they're like, well, I've gotten my fill of this place. I think I'm out. And that's when the real bloodshed happens. It seems <laughs> that that's where you have that's where you have your your Rambo diehard exit strategy where you just pick up a sword and, and, and uh, fight your way out, I think. Well, what happens when you win and what happens when you lose? <laughs> Those are two questions I think about a lot. <laughs> And how do you escape Woohoo Island? Because there's no... I mean, it, you're stranded on the island. I guess it's the only way to do it is with the plane. Although you also I need, I need more information. What are the other games? What are the other events okay. here? So we know like how it Wii, ends, but how does it begin and what's in the middle? That's, <laughs> that's what I need. It's like Wii Sports, except all the, the most of the games are like island themed. So you have like a jet ski mode, which I is clearly just yeah. the, the Wii like wave race. Yeah. Basically. Uh, <laughs> which me and Steven have a history with wave yeah, race. Yeah, th- that, that, that pregnant pause was us just reminiscing about Dave. <laughs> David Mariner from Wave Race 64. Uh, that, that's in a whole other episode. You'll come back. David Mariner? Okay. All right. This is impossible to explain, but... It just, it just I, sounds like Sketch Turner's cousin or something. Pretty much. Dom and I went to college together and, like, have spent dozens, if not hundreds of hours, playing 64 and Wii games. This is kind of actually a very uh, special episode for me to have to have these forces of good and evil combined. <laughs> I'm just going to say Dom's evil. Why not? No, no one's evil. But um, we were playing Wave Race 64 one day, uh, which is like, that is that is a truly bizarre game. Um, because it's, it's, that's also in the kind of like almost Dreamcast adjacent, like arcadey era of game where like, that's a game that gives you no story at all. It's just wave racers, which is all you're there for. Yeah. But they give you just enough information that you're curious as what the story is. Uh, and there are different characters. And one of the characters is Dave Mariner. Who's like, like a heavier wave racer. Uh, he's also the the best though. Like, yeah, they're like, they're like, say he's the best. Yeah. They're like, he's really hard to control and he's the slowest, (laughs) but like, if you know what you're doing, he's the best wave. (laughs) Kind of like how, how I think in, in Mario Kart eight deluxe, uh, uh, competitive play. Now everyone plays as Wario. Wario is is, oh, is really? number one. Really? Yeah. Yeah, he yeah. So so similar similar kind of strategy there. Um and there's a level of of, of Wave Race 64 that's like just like a trash island, like it's a gray skies <laughs> like plastic beach like, kind yeah, of thing called. Almost, yeah, it's like atonal music. And while we were playing that for some reason I like was getting really into it and Dom made up this conspiracy that I can hear Dave Mariner talk to me. And it's like, <laughs> he talked to me. I can hear him. I swear. Uh-huh. Uh, he waved to me. And, and yeah, he waved. He talked to me. It's real. It's like when everyone else leaves the room, a Toy Story situation happens where Dave Mariner is like, Steve, good job out there. Thanks for your help. Um, <laughs> impossible to explain. But that's that's why we were quiet for a bit when we brought up Wave Race 64. I wish I could remember the name of that level. Yeah, it was because I remember I remember you said something specifically where you were like, we we overuse the phrase like this is hell 
back yes. in back then. And you know, like, I know we say this a lot, but like this truly is hell. This is like Trash Island <laughs> Wave Race 64 level. That was another game similar to Wii Sports Resort where like it felt like a strange sort of purgatorial thing of like why must these <laughs> why must these jet ski races do this? I think it's because I think it boils down to giving if you give characters very specific names, if you give them a first and a last name and there's no story. That is a very strange balance of lore. You know what I really like, like about this specifically is like that exact same, you know, how much lore are you actually getting out of it situation is in F-Zero for N64 as well. Yeah, like yeah, that is yeah. exactly the same. I have no questions about the lore of F-Zero. Like it absolutely makes sense to me that all these people <laughs> with extreme personalities have to race in their car blow up constantly like that makes sense where i am concerned for the people racing is in wave race <laughs> where this is not yeah. fast and the furious they don't seem like their family like they're, they're having a, yeah. a probably bad time yeah the level is called marine fortress and it's like a constant thunderstorm and these like really dangerous waves and these racers are like cursed to to race i don't escape i don't know what they're doing <laughs> Are all Nintendo games about escape at, at their heart, I guess, is what we're trying to get to. I'm looking it up. Yeah, this is it. This is, it's like the definition of unsaturated. It's just like gray greens and like gray clouds, atonal music. It's really music. scary. Remember, yeah. I remember playing that with you like near uh, Hurricane Sandy when that was yeah, all it was, it was It was a very, I don't mean to laugh, but it was just like a very cataclysmic level to play. Oh my yeah. God. Um, it looks it looks like um, Hyrule Castle in Ocarina of Time was flooded and, and you raced through it um, while, while Ganon is still occupying it, which is the important note. Ganon's still there. Yeah. yeah. Oh but there's God. like big, big piles of like trash floating around too. <laughs> <laughs> and meanwhile, Dave Mariner is like, yes, yes, I got yeah. second. Yes, yes. <laughs> well, Dave, Dave Mariner is like a, a bigger dude and so slow. And it's him just kind of like wading through this like trash storm, like lap after lap. I, you know what it is? I think the the high fantasy and like horror of the setting meshed with Dave Mariner wave racing is like if you watch someone in like cargo shorts climbing Hyrule Castle, there's <laughs> like a dude like in cargo shorts and like a Dave Matthews t-shirt just like realistically climbing a fantasy castle. That's that's exactly. the kind of vibe of the scene. Very Sisyphusian. Yeah, yes, exactly. <laughs> Um, I typed in Wave Race Dave Mariner fan art, and for the first time ever, Google had no results. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta get on that. I'll be the first. But yeah, uh, let's, let's like Dave Mariner, turn around, realize we're going in the wrong direction, and cross the finish line, and uh, continue discussing <laughs> Wii Sports Resort <laughs> and all that it inspires. Okay, well, similar to what you were saying about how when you have a character with a name, but you don't give him a story. We were forced to sort of invent these stories that end up somehow being tragic for some reason. I feel <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for some reason. We're all, we're all, we're all fucked up, that's why. <laughs> anyway. Wii Sports Resort, I think, is that to the maximum because it's not just a character, it's you. I mean, if you create yourself, like most of us did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, it's me trapped on this island with a bunch of, like, seemingly, like, corporate, like, 
men and women in Hawaiian shirts and I can't leave. <laughs> it, it, it was, it was like the introduction of the Miis in, in the Nintendo, like, cause they like, they showed up everywhere outside of even yeah. the Wii sports games and they're still around. Like in Mario Kart, when you're playing online, your Miis show up like on top of earth, mm-hmm. which may be, yeah. That's like the dream ending of Wii Sports Resort is that they've made it and now they are on top they've, of, they've the, ascended. of the Ozone. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there is like a cult-like vibe to even the Me Plaza on the Wii. Yeah, like that's what I was about to say. The yeah. Wii was such a strange idea. Just plugging it in on my TV and like going back to that menu screen. It was such a strange like dream of Nintendo's. So like, there's like a photo channel. There's a weather channel. There's yeah. a news channel. And then one channel is just your Mies just kind of like walking around this like very like white pavilion, like kind of interacting. It looks like when Harry Potter can, died. Press a button. Yeah. <laughs> and talks to Dumbledore and Voldemort's hiding under a bench. You can have them like parade, which is yeah. like they just play like parade oh my music God, and then I they all just like that. walk. It's so. Sh- and then the Wii, like they ask you like six times. If you're okay with having other me's from other we's come to your me parade, as if I'm gonna be like no 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 other me's only my. <laughs> I recreated the entire cast of The Godfather, and nobody else can join. Yeah. <laughs> and then when you grab a me from that plaza, they're like shaking, like no 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 no. no. <laughs> I'm innocent, I'm innocent. Let me go, I'm innocent, I'm innocent. (laughs) You can drag him into like a trash or you can drag him into your your Wii where they're like prisoners with (laughs) your (laughs) Wii. Yeah, then once you land on Wuhu Island, like you, you would have, you should have dreamed of getting the trash. Now we're all stuck here. (laughs) We got to sword fight our way out of here. (laughs) (laughs) It is like, oh, go ahead, go ahead. Well, the games in Wii Sports Resort are like jet ski, there's an archery yeah. game, there's mm-hmm. a plane game that's very obviously modeled after... Uh, Star Fox? What's, no, uh, jet... Pilot uh, Wings? Pilot Wings, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Pilot, Pilot Wings, yeah, yeah. Which I think is cool that Nintendo like chose to sort of like pay tribute to those older games in the form of this Wii game that had like all of them in them. Yeah, yeah. and all the original Absolutely. sports from the first one are also in Resort, right? Not all of them. Whoa! What 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 like, didn't make the cut? You can get a, you can get it. The Wii U has a bundle where you get all the games in one for Wii U. But uh, <laughs> Wii Sports Resort doesn't have tennis, and they don't have boxing. Uh, I think all the others. Well, but they have table tennis. They have the ping. They have pong. table tennis. Yeah, yeah, which is really fun. Uh, so the way the game works is, which is another thing I really like that I don't think you see in modern games too much anymore, is like this this process of like unlocking new stuff is actually really fun. Like uh, I remember getting the new Mario Kart for my Switch, which I know is a like a deluxe version. Yeah. But it was like sad that I couldn't unlock all the stuff because that was like part of the fun of the game. Well, you can you get like new cars and stuff. But not at the level that you do in the original, like in the Mario Kart for Wii U, right? Yeah, when you get Mario Kart 8 for Wii U, like you just have the first cup unlocked and you you have to unlock, I think, the cup. I think even maybe the characters, that might be wrong. Um, but also you get the pieces of the cart as well. Um, and there's a bunch of stuff in terms of like levels and also uh, speeds and like mirror mode and stuff like that that you can unlock in the original. That's all just there immediately with Deluxe. I think Deluxe, the only thing that you unlock are pieces of the cart. Yeah. 
That makes sense. I guess they were like, we don't want to make you do that again so soon. Right. But I, I see what you mean. Like, I mean, that sense of progression is really important in a game like that. And I think like could keep you playing a game like Wii Sports for way longer if it like has any kind of variant. Right. Mario it. Kart 8 um, Deluxe. I mean, Mario Kart 8 at launch was a party game that could be played as a single player game because you were unlocking things and, and you had that sense of progression. Whereas when it was released on the Switch, it was literally like pretty much just a tech demo for the Switch's ability to have right. two controllers slide off the side of it. And then you're playing with whoever you want and everything's unlocked already it was like just kind of like a, a, a showroom game more than anything not that it's not incredible i mean it's the best mario kart game that exists i think but yeah, yeah, yeah I, agree. I agree but with wii sports it's fun that like when you if you play like uh like table tennis and you reach a certain level then you unlock a new table tennis game where you have to like hit the ping pong balls against like soda cans <laughs> which as i'm saying this out loud i'm realizing <laughs> I don't know if I would ever do this in normal life. If I wasn't <laughs> this hey, let's play stickball. If you play <laughs> stickball for five hours, I'll throw in two sticks. <laughs> I don't mean to say that as a negative thing for this game because it is really like helping me get through this time. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. My other favorite game to play besides table tennis is Frisbee golf, which I find to be yeah. very calming. And since I'm stuck in this tiny room, I have... When you go to this golf course, you're on this like huge, like sprawling world, mm -hmm. which for some reason feels very like refreshing since I'm inside all day. Yeah, we were talking. We, we did a bonus episode about Breath of the Wild uh, recently and, and very oh, similar feelings there where it's like being able to explore a big world that's that beautiful was honestly really refreshing given everything else is happening. Um, I love that you're getting that from disc golf from Wii Sports Resort, though. I mean, that's great <laughs> that you're also getting that feeling from that. I mean, it's very pared down. So, like, if I were to start Breath of the Wild again, which I might, but I feel like it's a really big, like, undertaking to start a new game sometimes. Sure. Because, like, you have to really get used to all this, like, progression system and all this new shit. Whereas in Wii Sports Resort, like, I can just, like, play Frisbee and I don't have to, like, level up and change, like, my gear and loot boxes and all of that shit. You're guess, never like, going to be too cold to play Frisbee yeah. golf. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> You're me. It's not like, I got to find a white <laughs> lizard. Yeah. Simple mini games. Is, it feels really nice right now. Yeah, I, I, I honestly do miss that. I mean, I remember also playing uh, a, a equally bizarre, but like purposely bizarre uh, game for the Wii was the WarioWare game. And oh, like, yeah. Yes, that had I a ton of uh, uh, different motion controls. And like, yeah, I think I think there's a place for it to come back. And I think that even outside of this like current situation, I think that there is like there just like there is sort of like a time and place for VR. I think there's also a time and place for like a game that like gets you up and active. Um, yeah, absolutely. I would love like I, I feel like there's there's <clears throat> rhythm games in general. I feel like are are bigger in Japan. But like I think that there's definitely room for like a DDR variant other than just dance yeah. to like come back here and like have a mat yeah. you know that's like i agree those persona spinoff games that are all about dancing i'm like would get them in a heartbeat if there was a dancing mat i'm like the idea of pushing buttons to that soundtrack does not appeal to me at all yeah i'm but, honestly like, surprised that they didn't dancing ramp up the production of the the ring fit not the game but the hardware itself and and use that yeah. to to like build new games off of that hardware because um, it seems it seems so ripe for that. Like the the fact that you just have a thing strapped to your leg um, and you can also like hold this ring just feel it feels like made for that stuff. They added a rhythm game to Ring Fit Adventure like I want to say two weeks ago that is 
brilliant. It's so fun. It's so ridiculous. But I mean, it is exercising. But I see where you're coming from. Like, it'd be great to just have that as a, a DDR adjacent thing. Because Just Dance is really fun, but it's also really intense at times. Like, they, I, I, there's a story mode that they added to that that I we just like found <laughs> recently. Um, oh which I'm not going to get into that story mode. But um, <laughs> when you're making it through, like, the difficulty ramp up from the beginning to the end is is astronomical. As somebody like me who cannot dance. I, I, I can't just dance and I definitely can't just dance the way they want me to. Uh, <laughs> it's it's rough, but I, I would like something a little bit more, I think, uh, adjacent to what you're talking about, Steven. I played Beat Saber. Beat Saber is great. Um, that feels like a new like a new kind of DDR that could come to the Switch. It's not on the, is it on the Switch? No. No, it's, I mean, that's, I think, specifically VR. So that's on, like, the Oculus w- Rift and... PSVR also. And, yeah, I wonder if, yeah. if, if they could port that to non-VR. Yeah, I mean, that would be cool. I mean, I think that there's... There's a whole. Uh, I think I think that is a genre that could could very well be explored, and and I think in a in a different angle, I, I would love to see a game that like combines some type. I know we've been talking a lot, like jokingly, about games that have a story that shouldn't, or games that give you just enough story that you want more. Um, but I think having like some type of narratively driven rhythm game could be very fun. Uh, you yeah. know, that's the conceit of the game. But I guess and that's I think, that's uh, uh, Cadence of Hyrule, right? And and Crypt of the Necrodancer are yeah. kind of that. Oh, yeah. Right. For sure. And even, uh, I was going to bring up, even um, in my time playing uh, Final Fantasy VII Remake, which was mostly me crying and screaming, in the middle there, uh, in the pull-up minigames, I was like, my heart was racing and yeah. I was standing up. Um, it ruled. I was I really think... upset that there weren't more. Not that we, we should not go off on another FF7 <laughs> 2020 no, 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 uh, discussion, but I was I was kind of bummed that there weren't more uh, rhythm game components to that game because the one that is in there is so fun. Yeah. I, I, I worry that like, cause I think Nintendo, the, the thing about this, the Wii is that the Wii sold really well. Yeah. It did yeah. real well. And I think was also like, I, I would say it had such a great launch um, and it had a pretty good finish somewhere in the middle. I think they lost a lot of their third party support because they were, a lot of developers were like, we don't want to have to. Yeah. It's exactly what you were talking about before, if, right? Yeah. Where, where you needed to incorporate the the tech of the thing yeah. in some way shape or form whereas the switch is kind of more straightforward yeah i remember playing um, the godfather game on the switch and <laughs> having just like the arbitrary like use the wiimote to you know push a cane into the kneecaps <laughs> oh you mean on, on the wii yeah yeah exactly sorry, it's on like the wii, on the wii. yeah yeah no it's okay it, it just feels like the Wii was was a very big commercial success, but I think it kind of divided the Nintendo base a bit. Um, yeah. And then the Wii U was just like a failure. Like, don't get me wrong. I think the Wii U does have some great stuff on it, but like commercially and critically was kind of like their first like real big miss. So I worry that Nintendo like, I mean, the Switch feels like they learned every lesson they could have and like, you know, wished this thing beyond our conscious into yeah. existence. Yeah. But I do think that there is still stuff you can like look back on the Wii and the Wii U and be like, you know, that'd be cool to have on the Switch in some way. Yeah, I'm such a Nintendo fan, and like yeah. I, I thought that you would think that the just the idea of motion cr- controls would like send shivers up my spine because of like how sad it was to be a Nintendo fan for so many years. But I can't believe like how welcome it feels to have the Wii in my house again. I mean, I yeah. was so excited to get rid of my Wii U and just have it out and never have to touch it. Because <laughs> I hated, I hated the whole, but now like, I mean, one of the best things about the Wii is uh, just having like the menu screen music just on in the background while it's you're so like, pleasing. 
washing dishes. As soon as, <laughs> as soon as you brought up turning the Wii on, I immediately like like sense memory uh, visualized exactly what what that looks like and yeah. exactly the sound that it makes. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful sound. I remember like being sick, like so sick that I couldn't move, and the Twilight Princess was in my Wii, and I just like watched the like menu icon of it from afar, like this kind of <laughs> like reaching yeah. out to something that couldn't exist. The only thing about my main gripe with the Wii is that like you can't access any of the menu unless the Wii remote is on. Like you can't plug yeah, in a GameCube so remote stupid. and do it. <laughs> So, like, if you're at a double-A batteries, which, like, I often am, you just can't play the Wii. Yeah. There's no other way to do it. Um, but another great thing about the Wii is that it's uh, backwards compatible with GameCube. So one yes. of the main reasons I've kept mine is that I have, like... Like, I, I, I like organizing my library in a way that I have the ability to play everything, but I don't want to keep everything because then I'll have like a rock band adjacent apartment where there's just like plastic shit everywhere. So I have my Super Nintendo, my Wii and my 64 for the old Nintendo stuff. Um, and I also have a 3DS and a Game Boy Advance SP so I can play like all yes. the old Game Boy stuff as well. This is almost exactly um, what I still have also. Oh yeah, yeah. that's great. I'm so jealous. SP is- I, I sell all of my stuff. I always do and I always regret. Yeah, I mean I think it's it makes sense because like like, I, I eventually had to be like, okay, like, how am I ever going to play Gex into the Gecko again? No, I'm going to throw it into the garbage. Uh, I would play that right now if I had. <laughs> Stop the episode. Fuck off, Dave Mariner. Fuck off, Wii Sports. Gex is back. Get me into the um, I just think that, like... I think I think on a broader topic, like revisiting older systems, it can be such a worthwhile experience, especially with something like the Wii that has such a unique identity and like was was really like I think it personifies what Nintendo does all the time is that they always try something new. And I think it did yeah. pay off. It just didn't pay off all the time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. It, it's like, uh, you know, it's like if, if, if someone it, 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 it's exactly what it is. It's as if you never had the option to not have motion controls. I think I think the ability to to plug in GameCube remotes and like be able to play. Like I think towards the end of the library, they let you do that more. But there were also so many like weird knockoff controllers they so- they sold to like plug in. Like there were like the strange like yeah. classic controllers and Wii stuff. Pro, the Wii yeah. was also I-, I think one of the reasons to. I don't know if you can do this anymore because they might have shut down the service. But like the Wii was back when it was out was like the way to get older games. So the, the virtual library, the virtual was console so was incredible and was and was still yeah. good like all the way up until the 3ds and then nintendo just said they have no intention of releasing it on the switch which is a huge bummer but um the other the other thing about the wii that i'll i'll mention we can skate right by but it's really great for hacking uh yeah i, you can, I not saying that i did anything like that but <laughs> it was I mean, theoretically a jailbreak and theoretically i could get all the tony hawk games and play them with a ps2 controller i mean i i could play them with my ps4 controller yeah uh which right. could be really Point fun yeah, point taken. If only, you know. Uh, Dom, I, I want to be mindful of your time. You said you have to leave soon. Do you have anything else you want to say about Wii Sports Resort? Wii Sports. I feel like <laughs> just the title. You just want to say Wii Sports. I can't get off this island. Wii Sports. Get me off. I think Wii Sports, as silly as it is, is one of the games that definitely like changed. I mean. I just, do you guys remember all those nights in high school? Like, people who would never normally play games were just all playing Wii Sports together. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So many nights, like, in my basement with, like, people who had never, like, my parents would never play games. All of a sudden, like, we're playing bowling together. I mean, I don't know how many hours I've logged 
playing these Wii Sports games. Yeah, I re- I think that speaks to the Wii is inviting energy as well. Because I remember like being new to college and like probably before we even met and just having my door open playing the Wii and like pretty much everyone came by to play WarioWare or Wii Sports and like were yeah. people that I probably would have never met otherwise that became really good friends because we just had this like uniting event and it was really nice. And I think like that's, that's I think the staying power of that game. And I think still remains based on your time with it. And I, and I think that that would still like, even outside of there being a global pandemic, I think like if you just had the urge to pick this back up, I think you would still be enjoying it. It's, it's obviously intensified by the fact that like, you know, we're in a tough time, but I think that it still has that power and energy to it. Yeah. I mean, for a game that you can just pick up and play for like 20 minutes, that it gets you active, but not active enough that you're going to be like drenched in sweat like yeah. on the DDR mat. I don't think you're going to get anything better than Wii Sports until they release it on the Switch again, which I got. <laughs> this is the secret that into existence. You're on the show now. We've done it before. It's easy. Also, uh, I never knew you could do this, but I got an a Wii to HD HDMI converter. Did you guys know? Now I'm playing Wii in 720p on my TV. It's amazing. Yeah, that's awesome. I know that was the thing. It is the thing. It's yeah. awesome. Yeah, I, I got one uh, right before I got rid of my Wii originally, and it was great. It's like $10. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Would recommend. That's great. You can hack it. You can get it in 720p. You can play golf. What else do Wii's you want? great. Don't get stuck on the island. That's something. <laughs> <laughs> the Wii's great until you can't leave. Goodbye. <laughs> All right. Oh my God. I'm going to depart you guys because I have to start cooking dinner. Well, thanks for coming by. It's a lot of fun. A really pleasant surprise. One of my favorite podcasts. I listen to it all the time. Steven, I miss you. Brendan, I feel like I know you. I miss you too. I miss you too, Dom. I miss you, Dom. Do you have anything, uh, anything, I I know I introduced you earlier, but do you have anything you want to say coming up on Esquire or anything? Plug something. Yeah. Come on. Yeah, you can, I mean, I try to write articles. I, I, I work at Esquire mainly for the website and I try to have some articles every week so you can see me on there or on Twitter at Dominic Nero. Cool. Hell and, yeah. Uh, yeah. Thanks for having me, guys. Thanks Thank so much for coming, coming by. by. Thanks for showing us the inside of your bathroom. Uh, I'm here. I hope you have a great time cooking. Thank you, Stephen. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Goodbye. Hello, Steven. Welcome back. Hey, I missed Dom already. What a yeah. pleasant surprise. Me too. Yeah, that was that that uh that came together kind of like as a goof that I thought would be great if it was real and uh it was I'm perfect. Glad he came by. Thank yeah. you, Dom, if you're listening to this for for coming by on the podcast. Thanks, and thank Dom. you for the constant support and all that. Before we recorded this episode, I sent out uh, a tweet that it was twofold. One of them was just mentioning that uh, our next bonus episode will be for Animal Crossing: New Horizons. It's our one month check in. Uh, you'll notice we did not do a living a little segment last week or this week. That is why we're kind of saving some stuff to talk about in the bonus. But I also said, hey, we're recording today. Is there anything you want us to talk about or any questions you want us to answer? Uh, and a couple of you sent in questions. So I thought we could go through them if that's cool with you, Stephen. Sounds good to me. I'm excited. Bring it on. Okay. Let's start with uh, GJ, who I, I need to apologize to uh, because uh, we started doing my other podcast, uh, No Script at All. It's a podcast with Terrace House. We started doing it live um, and and they showed up in chat. Uh, and for some reason, I don't know, maybe it was late. We record that show very late, generally. Uh, I, I I called them JG the whole time, even though it's GJ. So I'm sorry about that. Um, they have since changed their name in Discord to 
JG um, as, <laughs> as a goof. Um, I'm sorry about that. But anyway, GJ uh, asks, have have either of you played Assassin's Creed Odyssey? If so, thoughts? If not, what about the franchise in general? Uh, I just finished and it's my first foray into Assassin's Creed. I, I will very quickly just mention that we had an episode about Assassin's Creed Odyssey called Things I Missed, I think is the name of that episode. Yeah. Um, which yeah. was me revisiting Odyssey. I think in like a, in a dearth of video games, I went back and I was playing Odyssey again um, and had an incredible time with it. I really, yeah. really, really like that game. Yeah, this is a series that I, I think literally and why it's called Things I Miss. I think I missed the entire Assassin's Creed like series, yeah. honestly. I, I played a little bit of the first two like at a friend's house and just like kind of never really got into it. I'm sure I would and especially Odyssey looked great. I, I've, I think that might be a game I pick up one day because I imagine like those games go on sale pretty immediately. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, like, <laughs> if I'm not mistaken, Assassin's Creed Odyssey, like the complete edition, is about fifteen dollars right now, or something like oh that. Oh my god! Um, yeah, I've been waiting like for some year. reason. The one before that, um, oh shit, what is, what is it called? It's uh, Origins, the the one that takes place in Egypt, is still expensive, but Odyssey is cheap, and I don't understand why. But I really want to play Origins because I liked, loved my time with Odyssey. Yeah, I've heard Origins is great as well. Um, so I might pick up those two one day. You would yeah, love I, Odyssey. I, I I, th- yeah. I think you would you would just lose your mind playing Odyssey. <laughs> yeah, I definitely want to check it out. But that seems like a good entry point. I mean, I think the series has changed so much over the years. It seems like it's if those you two games play, in particular. Yeah, I think those two games are probably the most well received. I think Assassin's Creed Two is where the series I kind of found its voice. Yeah. Um, and I've heard great things about Four as well as the pirate one, Black Flag, um, which is on Switch now and is apparently a pretty good port from what I've heard. I've talked to some people oh, cool. in my office who have played it, have picked it up and played it, and and they seem to like it a lot. That is a game. I think Assassin's Creed Black Flag came out literally like weeks before the end of the PS3 life cycle, so it got yeah. dual released for PS3 and PS4, and I and I had it for PS3, so I played it for like a couple hours, and then the PS4 came out. Um, and, I, and I was not about to buy it a second time. But um, I, th- I think that might be a game where if it ever goes on sale, I'll check that out again. Because I absolutely I, I just scratched the surface of it and it seemed so fun. And then the reviews were just great. But I do wonder if now having played the Origins style uh, of Assassin's Creed game that exists now, if if going back and playing Black Flag is going to be too like, I don't know, a little bit too strict, a little too stringent, maybe. Um, yeah. Which I is wonder. weird because they're open world games, but it might feel too railroaded black flag seems like it's it's mission is specific enough to like being a pirate sim that like i imagine it will have a life of its own but i haven't played them so i can't say i do have i do have the desire to play that game though for many reasons love pirates love nautical adventure but i also um remember that for the old video game site we worked for uh, the game of the year in 2013 for everyone was either Last of Us, Assassin's Creed 4, or uh, Bioshock Infinite, except for me. Mine was Fire Emblem Awakening, because I was like, I only have a 3DS. Uh, so now that I have a PS4, I can experience all this stuff. Yeah. yeah uh, long, long, uh, the, the long and short of it is Odyssey seems great. Brendan says it's great, and I'm sure it is. Yeah. Would recommend, uh, especially considering this giant PS4 sale that's happening right now. If you haven't played Odyssey, I would definitely recommend picking that up, um, especially if you played the games in the past and you were like, I kind of get what Assassin's Creed is all about. I think I'm done with it. They have changed 
the formula of that franchise so much in the past two games that it, it is yeah. very much a different thing. It is more a um, I don't want, I don't want to compare it too much to Breath of the Wild. I would say it's closer to like a Horizon Zero Dawn where it's like they took that that style of open world game and then just kind of expanded on it in a way that I, I think moves it forward a little bit. Not even to mention that like the the plot of Assassin's Creed games for the most part is like you you're trying to assassinate a big guy you know there's a, there's a big guy sitting on top of a throne you gotta you gotta assassinate that guy but that guy has a lot of peons underneath him and you're working your way up that ladder to to get to that big guy and that's the story that you're following assassin's creed odyssey does this brilliant thing which i think we talked about at length in that episode but it's worth just bringing up again uh that's called the cult system which is like ripped pretty much directly from lord of the Rings: shadow of mordor um the whole like thing where you kill an orc and then that orc gets replaced by like another orc who like takes their spot in the in the ranking of orcs and things like that and they're all like procedurally generated and stuff what assassin's creed odyssey does is you're going after a member of this like cult and you don't know who's in the cult you just know that the cult has like x number of members and you you just kind of like pick up hints and clues as to where these cultists live and stuff and you have to like kind of make your way around the entirety of the country uh, by boat, by land, by whatever. And and you need to pick up these clues by like sneaking into people's houses, overhearing conversations, like picking up notes and letters written uh, to like uh, lovers and secret lovers and things like that and, and figure out who all these cultists are and then hunt them down that way. And like while you have one in your grasp, you can ask for information about the next one and kind of work your way through that spider's web until you get to the center, um, which is a really, really cool way of taking what is kind of like the formula of that game and and turning it into a thing that's like gamified uh, or, or where they've gamified every aspect of it instead of just like, here's a cutscene where you learn more information about who you're going after next. Um, you need to find that information yourself. You need to take it upon yourself. And I think that's really cool. And I don't think that's an Origins. I think that's only an Odyssey. Interesting. But yeah, yeah. would recommend. I, I got to check it out. Um, let's go on to the next question. Yeah, uh, this is actually another question from uh, JG that I, I wanted to mention. And I, I was going to bring it up while we were talking to Dom before because we we uh, touched on it briefly. But the question is, uh, do you guys have any experience with or opinions on virtual reality? Uh, this is another very Brendan centric question because I think my only experience with it is primarily with you. I played a little bit of Skyrim oh, and, yeah. and PSVR, and I think I did a few other things. I also, uh, a friend of mine has Oculus Rift, so I played uh, Beat Saber, which you mentioned earlier this episode. I played Beat Saber, and that was a lot of fun. And I played a few, like, VR games. And my friend Richie also has PlayStation VR, and I, and I did the, like, I think Super Hot, and also the, mm-hmm. like, PlayStation VR games that almost have kind of like a Wii Sports vibe to them mm. uh i think my favorite was job simulator i loved the job simulator uh, i great. loved that game yeah they yeah, just they just um, made a sequel to that called vacation simulator i think it is oh yeah which is just extremely goofy yeah it's just you trying yeah. to relax and doing a very bad job my my quick take because i'm sure you have more to say on this I mean, and this this is just based on the limited experience i have i think like motion controls i think vr is something that works really well when the game is made to be it. Um, I think every now and then yeah. you you get something like Skyrim where like it is really enhanced by being in VR, but wasn't necessarily made intended to be that. But I, I hear sometimes conversations about like, oh, the future of video games is VR. Uh, and I don't know if that's a widely held belief. I think like earlier on when like the main motivation of like video games as a medium and as a technology was to get better and better graphics. So like, the natural evolution of that is to have like a simulation of real life. I think we're past that. That's like a very late eighties kind of goal. I think 
To me, though, I think VR is a very, very cool experience um, that I think, again, like motion controls, is something that you should build for. Um, I don't think it's ever going to become the, like, de facto way to play games. Um, I think it will always kind of be... And that's not that's not a limitation. I just think that, like, I think it's always going to be something that is, like, sort of like a specific experience. It's usually not the default way to ingest the media. I can't see a reality, and I think it boils down to just, like, comfort. I can't see a reality where you come home and to unwind, you put something on your head and sit down. You know what I mean? Like, it's like right now, it's just too archaic to, like wear a hat for 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 five hours or whatever um and i also think that like just like as a person like i get kind of disoriented after doing it for a while so i think like it's cool but i don't think it's i don't think it's the future i just think it's a different way to experience something and i think if a game is made to be vr then you can do really cool stuff within that but it's almost like a different genre or medium in, in that yeah i think people are still figuring it out right like like yeah. half-life alex just came out recently um which i i haven't played but i've seen a lot of video of and that is a game that is fully made for vr fully made for interaction it uses the um the valve index controllers which like go over all your fingers and track all your fingers independently and stuff so you're like literally picking up objects uh throwing them like there there was a uh, there's a spot in the the original trailer where a head crab is jumping towards the the player character and they literally pick up a rolling chair from the office that they're walking through and like like almost like a lion is trying to bite like shoving it into the head crab to like get it out of the way that kind of interactivity i think is really really interesting and is not possible in in anything that's not vr really at the moment so like that's a compelling use case for it but i i kind of agree with you to an extent that I, I don't think it's going to be the norm anytime soon. I, I, I think it's one of those things where like you're really going to have to reduce the bulk of, of those devices for them to get any kind of uh, mainstream use outside of, you know, like enthusiast game players and, and VR people. That said, like I do have a PlayStation VR. I, I got one extremely on sale at one point, I think on like a Black Friday sale. Um, I got it to play Skyrim VR because I my my thing with VR has always been that I just want a world to get lost in. Um, and, and my depth perception, like as a human being, is really bad. So I can wear a VR headset like pretty much indefinitely and not have any kind of like discomfort or fatigue or whatever. Um, I have no eye strain. So a, a game like Skyrim VR it was really compelling to me because I could walk into a cave in this game that I had already played for like 300 hours. I could walk into a cave that I've been to like 58 different times. And for the first time, I could really um, appreciate the scale of the thing. Uh, I could look up and realize, wow, the, the top of this cave is like, you know, six of me stacked on top of one another, whereas before it just kind of all felt a little bit flat. So like... In, in terms of taking worlds and, and immersing yourselves within them, I think that's really compelling. Um, my favorite thing that I did with PSVR, and this is always like a goof whenever I talk about it with people, but I, I think is important because I think it could become kind of more viable in the future if the devices do get smaller. But I, I use the uh, VR version of the Hulu app for PS4. Oh, yeah, I remember this. This is one of our very first episodes of Frasier in the Void. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah I remember uh, this. Where where you can sit in like an empty movie theater uh, or a, a <laughs> penthouse or like a, an inflatable projector on a beach or a void, as we talked about, and, and just watch Hulu stuff. Uh, that was like really great, especially because I have, you know, kind of a small apartment and, and my TV at the time was very small as before I got a bigger one. Um, so pretty much within like, 
I want to say 20 to 30 minutes, my brain would just kind of forget that I'm wearing a headset because the PSVR compared to other ones is extremely comfortable because it sits on top it of is. your head. It doesn't get strapped to your head. Um, yeah, it's not it's not on your nose. Yes, and that's it. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so so that's the kind of device that I found myself being able to wear for a very long time. And I really, really appreciated it. But yeah, I, I think the the road to VR, this, this is a belief I've held for a very long time. And I think it's it's going to be true for a long time after this. But I, I think uh, augmented reality needs to get mainstream acceptance before virtual reality gets mainstream acceptance. I, th- I think once once people can wear like a pair of glasses that's designed by Google, Apple, what have you, Amazon, who, who cares, some some tech company. Once they create something that looks like a normal pair of glasses that people don't feel like idiots wearing, uh, unlike Google Glass or whatever, uh, and, it, and it gives them actual contextual information that helps them on a daily basis. That's when you start to get acceptance of augmented reality and people kind of get used to the idea of like, here's uh, here's we're projecting information in front of your face. And then after that, once virtual reality, I, I think, uh, kind of gets pared down into more manageable devices, I think that's when that kind of picks up. But I think augmented reality is going to have to come first, personally. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. That is very much your wheelhouse. I'm just like, that sounds cool. I like that. <laughs> uh, and also kind of dystopian, but yeah. we'll see. But yeah, I think I think you're right. I think for the next decade, it's probably going to be where it is. Yeah, I'm, I'm really interested because uh, from what I've seen around, I mean, just like literally internet rumors. So, you know, how much can you believe? But from what I've seen, it seems like there's going to be a second generation PSVR that's going to come with PlayStation 5. Um, oh, wow. Or like very soon after PlayStation 5. Um, I've seen like just tweets and like like random Reddit links and shit about this. So I, I, I don't know if that's to be believed, but it wouldn't surprise me if they're making a second version of PSVR. It's kind of surprising they haven't yet. So yeah, I, I hope that when that comes out, it's a little bit reduced in terms of bulk because man, is that thing big and like hard to yeah. set up and like not fun to set up either. Um, and it's also like it, you have to basically pay the money for like another system to have it. So like, yeah, that's a, pretty big issue with video games in general of like, you know, consoles costing X amount and limiting the amount of people that could play it because of that. And I think like if there's a way to make VR more accessible financially as well, I think you could see more people wanting to do stuff with it. Cause right now it just feels like such a novelty. It's like cars yeah. in 1920, like not everyone, <laughs> like only rich people had cars and they're yeah. like a toy. And now it's like, you need a car kind of thing, depending on where you live. Yeah, um, I, I totally agree. Um, yeah, there, there was a lot of there was a lot of motion, I think, like between Microsoft and Lenovo and a couple other companies to make like a really low cost version of virtual reality that would run off of like the integrated graphics cards that would come like inside laptops and, and like the, the computer you would buy for your your dad at Best Buy, like that kind of computer could run virtual reality, like a really limited version of it. Um, and I don't think that really went anywhere, but was really interesting. Like all those headsets were like one hundred fifty to two hundred dollars and like really 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 um low use of desk space like they're really really compact um i think that's the kind of thing that needs to exist but it can't have wires uh which is going to be extremely hard to develop and it's going to take a very long time but it'll get there eventually i'm sure as with all technology it'll improve until we get yeah. to that point and um yeah i think it just needs to get like used more you know like when virtual boy came out like that that was just the pits <laughs> that was way too early like at least we're kind of closer to what people actually wanted from that now yeah you know? yeah like, yeah you, you, i was thinking about we're still like in virtual boy like territory in terms like, of like the hardware yeah. that you have to 
to yeah, strap yeah. to your head. But like, at least the experiences are getting closer to things like Half-Life Alex, you know, or like No yes, Man's Sky yes. just got ported to PSVR. Like, I'm sure that's a dream. I still haven't played it. Um, oh, no, I did. I, I, I guess I forgot, but I played it for like a week or like a, like an hour one week. Um, and, and it is great. It's very cool. But like, you know, what, once we get to that, that more um, higher fidelity in, in terms of both like input and output, with like a, a smaller device, I think that's when it's really going to happen. I don't know. I'm excited about it, but um, I'm not like dying to get my hands on PSVR 2 yet, you know? Yeah, I feel the same way. Let's move on. What's the yeah. next question? This is our last question um, that is not related to Animal Crossing. A lot of you asked Animal Crossing related questions and we'll answer those during, uh, uh, d- sorry, during that bonus episode. Um, but anyway, this is from Andrew. Hello, Andrew, uh, who, who asked, not sure if this is something you'd want to discuss, but I, I, I do. Uh, but any helpful advice for staying creatively motivated during the pandemic would be nice to hear about. Oh, that's a great question. Staying creatively motivated. Man, I think I think in general, I've been following the same rules and steps for myself where like I'm a big believer of not uh, a really fine balance between staying productive and not forcing yourself to work every single day for X hours. Mm -hmm. Um, If, if you feel like, uh, like, you know, I draw a lot and if I ever feel while I'm drawing that it feels like work or I'm not enjoying it, I stop because like, if that's how you're feeling, whether it's writing or drawing or whatever, your 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 artistic outlet is you're gonna encounter moments like you'll feel it there's a difference between like you know overcoming an artistic hurdle and learning from it yeah and like feeling burnt out uh and and if you feel the latter like give yourself some time off like we're living through a global pandemic fucking relax do whatever you have to um but i think to know that like if you do feel restless if you do feel like you're struggling to enjoy your downtime, that is a clear sign that you should do something creative. Uh, you know, I think in the beginning I struggled with like finding time to like really enjoy playing video games or, or watching something or, or whatever. Um, and the minute I started working on my own creative projects again, I felt way more motivated. And I think that's part of it. I think downtime is part of the creative process. Like you can't just be working all the time. Um, was that I you do I was think talking to about the sponge, the, the sponge thing? Uh, I think it was, but 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 spell it out. I, That'd be great. I don't remember where I heard this or whatever, but I, I this is just a conversation that I had recently, or or was in a piece of media. I don't even remember, but um, the the concept is is essentially that um, during your, if you're a creative person and and you feel stressed out about the fact that you're not creating something or whatever, or you're like resting too much or something, the idea is that any time that you are are resting or you are uh, enjoying your downtime or whatever that is that is you as a sponge soaking up the creative energy of everything that's happening to you and and when you squeeze that out that's when you're creating so just kind of think of it that way kind of like an inhale exhale situation instead of a yeah. uh, instead of a i need to always be working um because I, I remember during my um freshman orientation at at art school uh the president of the college stood up on stage and he was like by the time you're done here you're all gonna be working artists and, and you're going to learn that there's no such thing as a creative block. You're going to be able to work and create on a dime. And I was like, that actually sounds awful. <laughs> it sounds really Yeah, it sounds rough. like a Persona 5 villain. Yeah. Like, um, people are just tools to accomplish a goal. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to say much more because he kind of felt like that in real life too. But anyway, 
Uh, um, <laughs> yeah, my my big thing, honestly, has has been kind of like a a, a modicum of what you're talking about, but it, it's just like I'm I'm putting my own mental and physical stability over literally everything else, and that's work and creative output and and even downtime and everything. I'm just like, feel free to take literally as much time for yourself uh, at any point as you want, always. Uh, because this is this is literally an unprecedented thing that we're all going through. Nobody who is alive right now has ever experienced anything like this really before. Um, and and I, I think you know whatever you have to do to to make yourself feel okay during this is is what you should be doing personally. Yeah. Uh, um, and and with that, at least like to get more in the weeds for me, like that that comes with um, me like having a, a hard out for work. Like I will not work past five thirty or six. Like around that vicinity is like when I'm done. Um, I get up out of bed and I, I you know we make ourselves breakfast in the morning and stuff and like watch TV with breakfast and like hang out and like have a nice morning before starting working and stuff like that. Um, having like a clear distinction between where I'm working and where I'm sleeping is huge for me. Um, yeah, I, I think it it just is like it like all things is a balance. Um, but yeah, I, I think putting putting your own mental well-being uh, before your creative output is probably what I would recommend. I, I see it the same way. Like I I don't do this as much, but I, I jog a lot as well. And I think like seeing both your creative output and like if you're someone who maybe that outlet is exercise or something physical in some way, going mm-hmm. back to Wii Sports. Like only do it when when it feels like it's time for you. That's just about the thing you're working on and not because you're trying to like, I mean, I think I think physical activity has intertwined with it. Something that I struggled with with exercise for a while was this feeling of like atonement or punishment. I had to atone for the enjoyment I had earlier in the day. And that's bullshit. I, 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 I enjoyed and got in better shape treating running like it was something that was just for me and it was something that I look forward to. So I think with creative stuff, don't, don't as much as you can. And trust me, this is a constant struggle, but don't feel like, Oh, I'm a nobody. I haven't written or drawn in, in X weeks. Like fuck that. You need a break. You're a fucking person. Even the people like the, the projected image you have of, of artists you look up to, I guarantee are going through their own version. Yeah, they're all feeling the same like, way. And you see that like, up until the, yeah. the highest echelon of like pick any any musical artist that, that you love who like plays arenas or whatever. Like generally like this is I've, I've heard like Taylor Swift say this and like the fucking guys from Coldplay say this and stuff. But like they spend every single day sitting at a piano writing shit, you know, and then and then every yeah. once in a while the hit comes out and that that sometimes takes you know a week between the last time it happened and sometimes it'll take six to eight months to multiple years you know um yeah you never you never know when when that actual like for real lightning bolt is going to strike so like just put yourself in the position to uh be able to catch the lightning bolt when it does happen but like don't overexert yourself in the process because then it'll never happen you'll never be able to do it yeah exactly And, and i think for specifically for right now to stay creative and motivated is like just just find those corners of the day that like allow you to enjoy whatever your craft is and you know if it's something like i for example like speaking personally like I am someone who's like in college and growing up, I I was thankful enough to receive like a lot of support from people around me to pursue various artistic things. Like I was more involved in performing arts for a long time. I then kind of, you know, drawing was always kind of a hobby. And then, then I switched to that be my main focus and, and writing as well. And, and um, because of that have battled eight different versions of imposter syndrome 
and like currently have a job that isn't intertwined with those interests. So before this, a lot of my own anxieties, like me really pushing myself to utilize as much of the day as possible to get everything done. And I pride myself on that. And that's a very good thing. And I think there's a really, there are a lot of really valuable things to take away from like budgeting your day out. But even outside of pandemic or not, even, even with that of, of, cause I think that's also applies to most people, you know, everyone has a day job, even if it is artistic related, it may not be related to the projects that you want to make. Um, so I think that like never, never treat your creative outlet or, or the time you take in a day as punishment and don't feel bad for having downtime because that's where you're recharging. Uh, you will feel it. You will feel like, oh, I played too much video games today or like, you yeah. know, it's, it's the same feeling of like eating a whole bag of chips. But, like you need to, you need to unwind. And I think that we're kind of conditioned to always feel like we have to be working and that's bullshit. Like you're a human being it's a pandemic do what you got to do um but i think in short if you're if you're struggling to find ways to stay creative right now like just treat it as its own source of entertainment and not something that has to be all encompassing i have a lot of friends who maybe are not as like consistently creatively active as, as other people i know or as myself and i'm not i'm not comparing at all i'm just saying like you know we have the show every week and like you know i'm i'm working on my stuff quite a bit and i think that I've encountered this where like if you haven't written or drawn in a long time and you're getting back into it, there's so much weight on the thing you're returning to as if yeah. it has to like prove that you're worthy of it. And like drop that, drop that as, as soon as you think that drop it. Cause like you just have to keep going. Like you said, like you just got to write. It's not going to be the first thing you're doing. Uh, don't feel like that expectation is inherently tied to whatever you're working on. I mean, I think a good example of that is this show we do like this happened out of nowhere just because it was it was fun to do. Yeah. And it's become a really fulfilling constant for both of us. And that was independent of like any grand scheme or like anything. You know, I mean, we, we've worked hard at it since. But like, yeah, we worked really hard. I mean, happened. yeah, it, it, it spawned out of like I lost my job and I was like, I have all this free time and I really want to start a video game podcast with Steven. So let's do it. And like you and I piloted <laughs> the show for a long time. I mean, we we probably yeah. did like I would I want to say like three or four episodes, like before the ones that are released, uh, there were like three or four other episodes. Where we were like testing the waters out and trying to decide what this podcast was even going to be like. It took yeah. a long time to figure out what this it sounds very loose and it sounds like it's kind of uh, like a very easy structure you know when you're listening to it or at least that's what I've been told by people who listen to the show but like it took a long time for us to get to this point and now I, I think we're we're kind of in the groove of it but yeah I, I know exactly what you mean it's like for me personally just like continuing to do podcasts and having a schedule for them is definitely helping a lot um like yeah. the fact that now for the Terrace House podcast like we have we're, we're doing it live on Wednesday nights is like great that's appointment viewing for a whole bunch of people which means that i have to be there and i have to be like ready and i have to i have to like make sure that all my prep work is done before then um and same deal with this like we record this every sunday and we have for like almost the entirety of the two years we've been doing this podcast um yeah. which just means like oh we, you gotta you gotta play something you have to play a video game like even at, at any point you have to find the time to play a video game yeah um, or just change your psn name and that will be an episode right yeah 
Um, but yeah, I, I think like you got it, you know, just, just do what works for you. Everyone works differently. Everyone has different ways that work for them in terms of like, uh, I think, I think you and I find a lot of comfort in routine. Some people just yeah. need to be like, okay, I'm going to do, I'm going to draw or I'm going to write, or I'm going to, uh, sculpt or whatever your thing is for an hour this week. And it will be whenever I feel like it, like, you know, yeah. All this stuff, I think something that I took away, like, you know, I mentioned that, like, I have this pressure to work on my stuff because, you know, I'm also working full time. And I've actually found a lot of comfort in that schedule. And I think, like, that's kind of the norm. Like, most people are doing a version of that. But I think once this happened, my, like, my my goal, I still had those tenacious goals, but I'm also, like, all that really matters is that like you're happy and like you're here, you know, like yeah. <laughs> everything else is kind of secondary. So like if, 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 if being creatively active makes you happy, then do it. Um, but if you're forcing yourself because you think you have to be productive TM, fuck that play more persona, do it. Why not? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I played persona five R all day yesterday. I also couldn't stop sneezing. I feel much better, but I, I had like severe allergies and like, I was like, well today. And that's another thing too. I, I'm a big, I'm a very big, uh, schedule person where like I write in my notebook what I'm going to do that day and check it off. And what I have to learn is that like, sometimes the day is just going to be different. You have to roll with it. You know, like yesterday I was sneezing nonstop and I'm like the reality in which I like clean, decorate and run errands today is non-existent. I just have to play Persona 5R all day. <laughs> Woe is me. Uh, uh, do, yeah. you want, do you want to take a quick break and then come back and maybe talk about that? In, yeah, in yeah, video I'm game? sorry. Really I, I rambled a bit there, but I, I, I just I have a lot of feelings on that specific topic and I hope whatever I said helped. Yeah, likewise. Yeah. Yeah, let's take a break. See you soon. Okay, goodbye. Uh, listeners don't know this, but Steve and I literally do wave to each other at the end of every segment. <laughs> That's true. Hey, Brendan. Hello, Steven. I heard whispers uh, that you... Never mind. I was going to say more than I realized it was a spoiler for something, so I stopped. But I hear whispers <laughs> that you are playing uh, Final Fantasy XII Zodiac Age for the Switch. Now, this is prefaced by you saying like you had a few games you were looking at and you weren't sure what you were going to play. And then I saw you tweet a bit about FF12. There were some FF12 conversations happening in the Discord. And uh, 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 my roommate, uh, very generous of him, got me a Switch gift card for my birthday. Mm. So I had, I had, I had uh, Switch money on the table, and I was like, let me just do it. There was a sale as well for like every Final Fantasy. And we're, we're, we're in a Final Fantasy fever here in the Aether. We've been, we've been covering a lot of them. Why not add one to the pile? Uh, so I... Also purchased Final Fantasy Twelve Zodiac Age for the Switch, um, but I want to hear your your thoughts on it first, and, and just just your your summation of the experience leading up to it and so far. Because we're both really early on, but I have more to say because I I got it like when it came out back in two thousand seven, Wii era kind yeah. of stuff, a full circle. Um, but I have not played it like pretty much since. Yeah, so. It's been pretty fresh for me, but I, I want to hear your thoughts first. Let me uh, just preface this by saying I have played maybe 30 minutes of it total so far. Like I, had, <laughs> I had absolutely no time. Okay. But in, in those 30 minutes, boy, have I just concocted an entire like uh, an opinion of this thing. Um, yeah, it I'll, I'll say this much. I think that the opening of this game is just a fucking train wreck. <laughs> I think it's like, oh, really? Oh, man. Yeah. So there's this opening cutscene that is I think is great. 
um, by itself until all the stuff that comes after it. Um, but there's an opening cutscene that is beautifully fully rendered. Uh, I mean, it looks kind of adjacent to like what Advent Children looks like. Um, it looks the the cutscene is a little bit more of a beautiful version of what you would see in game in Final Fantasy VII Remake I think is kind of a good way of putting it um, yeah yeah just in terms of like visual fidelity and animation and all that stuff um, beautiful world all that um, it looks so much like Naboo from <laughs> Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace uh, yeah and I was like this this game definitely came out around the time that the prequel trilogy was being released uh, or like maybe right at the end of it. Right. Because uh, I, I think that I think episode three was released in 05, I want to say. Yeah, this this game came out 2006 and had a pretty long development before. it. Right. So which means it was, that it was fully it was in development throughout the entirety of the hype cycle of the prequel trilogy. And then some characters started speaking because this cutscene that it's opening on is a wedding between two people. And it sounded right out of Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings trilogy, which was wild. Like just in terms of voice, I'm I'm playing with uh, English dubs Uh, in terms of like voice acting and delivery uh, and writing just all sounded exactly like Lord of the Rings, which also is a trilogy of films that was coming out around the time that this game was in development. So it really feels like this this strange trifecta of of things where it's how much of star wars the phantom menace can we put in this video game how much of lord of the rings can we put in this video game and how do we make all of that still feel like final fantasy um and let me tell you those first five to ten minutes of that cutscene are just completely bonkers like i had such a great time watching that cutscene and what immediately follows it let me let me just be clear. That cutscene is giving you a lot of exposition. It is very exposition heavy because it opens up with this wedding. It's like, oh, this is beautiful thing that's happening in this city. It looks incredible. It looks a lot in terms of um, in, in terms of art direction, like the town. I don't know the name of it. Maybe I'm sure you do actually. Uh, from Final Fantasy Nine. Okay, fine. What it, maybe I do. What is it? Uh, it's Damasca. Actually, no, Damasca no, is like the region. Oh, a nine. Yeah. Um, Alexandria. Yes, it uh, looks a lot yeah. like that. Um, yeah, it does. It, yeah. This game, I, I find, has a lot of Final Fantasy IX energy, just in terms of like that that line that they're always towing in Final Fantasy between sci-fi and fantasy. Um, this is leaning more towards the fantasy end, I would say, uh, in terms of just art direction. Um, yeah, so so you have this like just beautiful shot. There's this wedding that's happening, and then immediately you cut to this like boardroom where like a king and a whole bunch of generals are talking about like an invading army, and they're just throwing out country names left and right, and the names of like people and generals and commanders, and like this person died. Oh God, I have to go here and I have to fill in for them. I have to fill in for this commander. Like X Y Z, I all of it went completely over my head, and I was like, "All right, well, I'll just get into the video game, and maybe like as they continue to say these names at me, some of them will start to stick." And then, and then, what happens after this cutscene is just—it's <laughs> just like a—it's a JPEG of a book uh, in like a black void, and then they just hit you with another five minutes. This is not animated at all; it's just text on a screen that's narrated of more exposition of more names and more countries. And at one point they show a map and they're like, here's the map and you're here. And this army is fighting for truth and justice. And this army is fighting for the American way. And they're going to clash here in the middle in Dalmasco where you are. Um, and it's another five minutes of that. And then you play like a little tutorial sequence sequence where they kind of teach you how uh, combat works and how to interact with people and things like that. And, 
I was immediately hooked on the gameplay of it, like from this point. Like as soon as I got past all of that, yeah. I was like, this is all going extremely over my head. But whatever this video game is, I do think is great. So you play through this little sequence and then it ends and then you immediately get another JPEG of a book with more <laughs> dialogue and exposition that is completely unrelated to what comes after it, which is you are now playing as like, um, I would say an Aladdin-esque like orphan. Yeah, it's very street rat. It's yeah. very, uh, uh, just a little snack. Guys. You were, you were starting. Yeah, sorry, I gotta stop. You, you start this game, oh, sorry, the second time you started this game, uh, you were playing as like the beginning of Aladdin, like very much. Um, yeah. and, and it is seemingly completely unrelated to what preceded it. Um, I mean, well, it, the, it, the is, kid it gets is very stabbed, says his yeah. brother's name, that's Vaughn. But yeah, you're, yes. you're right. In terms of what's happening on camera. Yeah, well, yeah, because the, the game opens with this beautiful cinematic of this wedding and then, oh, oh, my God, there's a war that's happening. And then five minutes of exposition dump about the war. And then you're playing in the war and it is like visceral and interesting. And like there's a boss fight in there. It was really great. Uh, and then it ends and then more five minutes of dialogue with the JPEG of the book. And you come back and some little kid is like, you could really kill all those rats yourself. You're so strong. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I, I kind of completely disagree. So, uh, and I'm actually excited to talk about this. I, I totally get where you're coming from in terms of like just the names thrown out, like the, the, the fantasy name dump is like unreal. Yeah. Uh, well, here, here's the deal. If you don't mind me going through my experience with this game, please, like, please, please overall. Do. So Final Fantasy 12, uh, was the last Final Fantasy that I purchased like when it came out. Like I, I've mentioned a lot on the show cause we've, we talked recently about seven remake We've talked a lot about seven and you know, we, I, I have a pretty strong history with these games specifically with like six through 10. Like that's like those games I, I know very well and love very much. 11 was the uh, MMO that came out on PS2. Mm-hmm. So like that you needed like talk about PS5 headgear. Like you needed like a PS2 modem that like, yeah, it, it just I, might as well not exist. Um, but like, I remember like, you know, I got Final Fantasy 10. I also really liked it. Final Fantasy 10 came out probably when I was like 11. And I remember being really excited for 12 because that was like the next mainline entry. Cause you know, the time between, I mean, it was five years. Cause, cause I think 10 came out in either 2000 or 2001 and then 12 came out in 2006. So 12 comes out. I am a junior in high school. It's the summer, I think maybe not the summer, but I remember playing it a lot in the summer cause I was a camp counselor and I would come home and play it and fight rogue tomatoes for the monster <laughs> board. Uh, mm-hmm. But I remember kind of being like, I enjoyed 12 a lot when it came out. It came out at the same time the Wii came out and it came out at the same time Twilight Princess came out. So I remember that Christmas, uh, I was very over the moon. It was like one of one of the most memorable gifts. I got Twilight Princess and Final Fantasy 12 and I was like over the moon. I didn't even know which to start because I was like, this is like, this is like my dream. And at that time, I ended up getting more into Twilight Princess. Uh, I mean, rightfully so. Yeah. Uh, but... I still liked 12. I just, I reached a point in 12 where I just sort of like didn't really feel compelled to keep going. And I kind of just moved on to other stuff, but I always, I always liked it. It's been a long time. I have not played 12 since, since 2006. So like Mm. it has been 14 ass years for me. Uh, I I, like seven feels more modern to me than 12 does. Yeah. Um, But 12 is like, 
there's actually a great article that I would recommend reading about the. I started reading. It. I didn't have time to finish it. Um, I wanted to finish it before we started recording, but I had to. I had to. Um, inf- I had to infiltrate uh, Dom into into the Skype chat first. <laughs> that took priority. But yeah. there's an article called "The Making of Final Fantasy Twelve on Polygon, uh, and it was written right before Zodiac Age came out. Zodiac Age is sort of like a light remaster there's some quality of life tweaks um and it was the port to ps4 and it's also on switch but uh so you know that was sort of like not a it's a remaster in the way that like final fantasy 8 is but it does have some additional stuff that like changes some things i i i don't know 12 well enough to speak directly on that but i i figured i had this gift card and you were you were looking at it and I was, this could be a fun episode because i also have a god quest of talking about every final fantasy on this yeah, show yeah i wanted to bring one that you hadn't played yet or that you hadn't talked about yet was my plan yeah and 12 was that um so i i got 12 what i remembered about 12 uh, and, and that they go into in the article is that its production is really like like a lot of final fantasies its production is kind of bumpy and like you know, a lot of people kind of came and went during the production of this game. And the original intention of the product was to kind of be like, okay, let's go back to basics and do like a surefire, you know, success of like, uh, it's interesting you compare it to nine because their intention was to kind of be like, for context, Final Fantasy nine was a direct kind of homage of like, the classic Final Fantasy aesthetic and tropes. It was very yeah. steampunk inspired. Um, it felt very much like a modernized of, at the time. It's like a 1999 version of Final Fantasy VI. Yeah. Because um, the games that preceded it were Final Fantasy VII, which changed everything. Uh, it, it completely like changed genre and and gameplay and everything. And eight was even more out there in terms of like what right. it was. So I think I, I think it kind of divided the fan base a little bit. And that's I think the thing that there's a line in the article that sums up how I think of Final Fantasy as a series, and I think it's really beautiful. Let me just mention before you say that I, I'll put the link to this article in the show notes so people can oh great check it out as well because it's definitely worth reading I, I read i don't know the first half of it and and really enjoyed it so great reporting i don't remember who wrote it uh maybe uh looks like leave it open jeremy Parrish wrote it cool. good job it was awesome uh the last one of the last lines in the article is final fantasy is what you make of it it's not predefined mm. which to me is really fascinating because at this point in time a, a Final Fantasy game can literally mean anything. The the tone and genre and setting and gameplay between Final Fantasy 1 and Final Fantasy 7 Remake are all over the map. Yeah. Um, there is really no... like I think 1 through 6, you had a very clear formula, and, and all those games kind of follow similar-ish beats and, and aesthetic. And 7 was the game that really changed it up, and I think is is almost ironic that that was like the biggest hit when they did something different. Uh, and I think since then, the, the thing that I love about the series is the fact that they always try something different. So, needless to say... 12 was following 10, which was also very different. That was a very different kind of setting and, and yeah, and felt very fresh at the time. Uh, and 11 was the MMO. So like 12 was sort of like, okay, we've done two new wild ideas. We're going to give you like a classic ass fantasy story. Yeah. Um, and a lot of the key people that were working on this game were involved with final fantasy tactics 
and uh, Vagrant Story as well, which you can see in the aesthetic because both of those games, I haven't played much of Vagrant Story, but both FF12 and Vagrant Story had this very interesting aesthetic where to make up for the limited hardware, they play with perception and depth using 2D illustration in 3D environments. So like everything kind of has this almost hand-painted feel to it, including faces. That I find really interesting. It doesn't always work. I like work, it in, but... in, in Final Fantasy twelve. Yeah, I do too. I think it I think it like I think it adds a very unique visual flair to the game and I think it adds kind of like an intentionality to the graphics that don't make it feel as dated as it probably should feel. I agree. Yeah. At um, first, when I first saw like close-ups of the characters, I was like, this, something about this is off. And then I started to kind of see what they were going for from an art direction standpoint. And, and it kind of clicked for me. Honestly, when I got to uh, who is the protagonist, what, what is their name again? Vaughn. When I got when I first got to Vaughn and you meet his sister, I was like, oh, yes, this is great. Actually, I, I, I love this. Yeah. So Visually. it it's interesting because like they're going for a very class like uh <laughs> it's funny compared to Naboo cuz like Final Fantasy has always has always worn its Star Wars influence on its sleeve and like Star Wars itself is like as classic fantasy stories you can get so it's not even yeah. it's less Star Wars inspired and more just they're both going for a very similar thing but there have often been uh Star Wars easter eggs in Final Fantasy games with the running characters uh recurring Biggs characters and Biggs and Wedge yeah. and like there are some weapons that are just straight up lightsabers in Final Fantasy 6 so like <laughs> you know there it's but never has a Final fantasy game felt more like star wars than this one like it's just so wild to to see something so blatantly inspired by the prequels of all things yeah well and it has like and and this is where i disagree i i I agree with the exposition and the names but like i think just cinematically i really loved the the opening movie i didn't like to be truth be told 12 has always kind of been lower on my list of final fantasies like it kind of it didn't really stick with me and i think i think at the time i respected the fact that even though they were going for a kind of back to basics Final Fantasy game. I respected the fact that they were also breaking some traditions in a big way. Notably, that there wasn't, even though Vaughn and Pinella are kind of like the sort of hobbits of the journey, they're sort of like the audience's like lens into this bigger story happening around them. Yeah. They're not chosen one characters. You know, I, I think I think it was nice to break the tradition of like the main character needs to be the chosen one. They're secretly an angel or something. Yeah, and like right. I like the fact that Vaughn and Pinella are actually just orphans. That they're never like their role gets more important, but as far as I can remember, they're never revealed to be the this, like other thing yeah um and and on top of that too there's no real central villain either they're antagonists but there's no sephiroth so like hmm. uh i think i think what's really shines above all else in this game is the setting i think like even though they're name dropping like crazy like walking around the town and, and hearing one of the best soundtracks in final fantasy it's history, immediately like, striking incredible yeah. Which is kind of amazing because Nebuo Uematsu, who's like the composer of Final Fantasy and like video games in general, left early on. So he did like the opening theme and that's about it. Oh, wow. Um, but the, uh, let me let me find his name. But the composer who filled in for him, basically, Hitoshi Sakimoto, he he did an incredible job and is like, that. that is sort of what carries the experience is the soundtrack. And I, and I think that like, there's something about the... Uh, the direction, the the way the camera works in different lines of dialogue and cutscenes is like really cinematic in a way that like I think even more kind of high fidelity Final Fantasies lack. Like 
the visual storytelling in this game, I think, is very well done. Like, you know, even though, like, it could be jarring to go from one thing to another, like, I got the mood from that opening cutscene of, like, okay, there's this wedding that's kind of interrupted by, like, fantasy TIE fighters. And yeah. uh, then it cuts to, you know, this, like, you're learning the game with Bosch and, like, seeing this sort of unclear moment through the eyes of a dying character is, like, a really cool way to do that scene. Yeah, um, yeah, don't don't get me wrong. I don't I don't want you to think I hated the whole opening. I just think, I, I think, like, from, from a storytelling standpoint, the exposition dump doesn't work as well. But in terms of a, like, mood setting and, like, artistic achievement i think it's great um i i still yeah. enjoyed playing through it I, I just think there are better ways to tell a story than to tell me the name of every single player simultaneously yeah i think i think the stuff with the map and the text is like that almost feels like fantasy fan icing where like i i am not my love of fantasy isn't tied to like maps and facts but i think some people just love that shit like, yeah you know, and don't get I me think, wrong i'm like, excited yeah. to eventually because as soon as they showed the map i was like oh this is uh, three houses again. I'm just playing. This is great. This rules. Like, give me this. Like, I'm excited Part to learn one. about these places and things, but I didn't need to learn about them all at that exact moment. Yeah. And I, and I think it helped that, like, even though I, I didn't get super far when I first played this game, like, I, I kind of know who these characters are. So, like, yeah. having that prior information helped a bit. But, like, I was actually blown away at how swept up I felt in it when I was like kind of like okay I'll go back to this like for fun and to see how I feel about it and like all these like decade and a half later like really finding it effective I remember finding the characters like not quite as like they're fun but they're they're not to the same degree as like I mean saying anything is not to the degree of FF7 is kind of unfair but like <laughs> you know coming mm-hmm. fresh off the heels of finishing FF7 remake yeah, I think what makes up for it, though, is like I do like this kind of sense of uh, it is a more grounded story. Like it, it does feel like, OK, like you're you're part of this like adventurers ensemble, like in this big world and you're part of it rather than the focus of it. I think, too, a lot of people working on the game were, were playing a lot of FF11 at the time. So this game is often referred to as like a single player MMO because the way the battle works yeah. is very MMO-y. And oddly enough, like. I think you can see the seeds of what they ended up doing in FF7 remake, even in FF12, where, mm. you know, it has this kind of hybrid of real time and turn base where like how it works. Is yeah, basically- it's, it's a different way of doing what they tried doing in FF7. You're absolutely right. Yeah, I didn't even think about yeah. it that way, but it, it does feel like a, a hybrid of those two things. I think I think it's compelling in a different way. I'm glad they didn't stick with it, I guess, like as much as. I'm looking forward to playing through the rest of this game with this system. I'm glad it didn't become the norm going forward. I agree. And I mean, and that was actually this battle system, I think, was the main source of because this game is very divided, especially at the time. I think people are kinder on it now. It seems um, that way, it, at least based on yeah. like when I was looking for another Switch game to play and, and I didn't know what to do. Everybody was saying that you should check out ff12 because i think even though they kind of went for like a safe formula with the fantasy story like i think that the fact that there is like even though it is a very typical fantasy story it is a very atypical final fantasy story yes and the battle system is very new um so how it works is like you're walking around in real time and i think the best thing about it is the fact that enemies exist in the environment so kind of like final fantasy 14 or any mmo like you're in the same plane of reality as the enemies uh, they just walk up to you and you'll see if they target you because it's like a red line that shows up and then you just give your character a command and they'll do that like you know with an ATB bar filling up 
where the game gets really interesting and where people are divided on it, but I think I think it ultimately pays off with the intentions of the game is uh, there are things called gambits. As you level up, uh, you unlock more and more gambit slots for characters. And what gambits are, are basically AI for your character. So you can give a character a gambit that's like, if an enemy is weak to fire, use fire. Uh, Or if a character has less than 30% of health, use a potion on them. And that stuff gets like real intense like you, you can basically make it so that the game is kind of playing itself but of course you always had to interject nothing is going to be a fail-safe plan that's a but little like, bit my dream though that actually is very compelling to me yeah and, and i think it's cool and, and honestly i think ff7 remake could have used a little bit of that because i think that in that game you're switching between the characters mm-hmm. but if you're not playing as them they're not really doing anything like they're just sort of attacking yeah the only um, real ways to to uh affect that i think in remake were kind of items right there were a couple items that were like if, yeah, if they're like, not playing as this character then they have more health and do more damage and things like that or yeah or there was some materia that was like auto cure materia and stuff but like and 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 there's there's a way to add more items like that to fill in the blanks and that game i think was going for more of a focus on switching characters yeah but in this one like uh it, a very similar thing existed in dragon age origins where like you can basically program all the characters to do things a certain way and it can get so it can get so kind of creative where you can be like okay i want to use this item that makes this enemy weak to that they're going to use this move after that happens or yeah. like use this finisher when the enemy has less than x health and that that mix with the license board which is kind of like a sphere grid thing where you can kind of make any character any class there's so much creativity in how you kind of make these characters on top of the fact that even though vaughn is sort of the de facto protagonist he never needs to be in the party so you can use anyone oh, you can use any so character like dragon quest adjacent um, yeah Cool. Yeah, and it, it kind of has a little bit of Dragon Quest in it in terms of just like flaunting it being like a very classic ass fantasy story. Yeah, but I'm kind of I'm kind of just smitten by it. Like I, I was really not expecting to be this. Like I'm only like an hour in, but like I remember kind of being annoyed by Vaughn and not really liking the characters that much. But like this time around, for some reason, it's just really working for me. Uh, it's working there, for me too. Are... I'm honestly like chomping at the bits of finished recordings so I can go play more. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and 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 it gets like I think once you get the full cast, like you get some cool characters. Like some of the stuff that was said in the in the text exposition is sort of like in direct contrast to what's going to happen mm. with some of the characters. That yeah. they kind of list out three of the main ones, um, like Bosch, who's in the beginning, and Ash, who they say she took her own life, but she shows up. Don't worry, it's not a spoiler. So my favorite though, uh, in, in in if memory serves, is uh, there's a very clear Han Solo Chewbacca stand in with both. Balthier and Fran. Um, but Balthier is like this kind of like cocky airship pilot with a gun and Fran is this like his sidekick who's like a rabbit lady. Uh, they're awesome. Mm-hmm. They're wonderful. Cool. Uh, uh, everyone else is like fine, but I think I think what's on full display here is just like the setting and I think uh, I know a lot of people whose like favorite Final Fantasy is this one and I can see why in terms of the fact that like there is no other Final Fantasy that is doing what this one is. You know, I think you can maybe find it in tactics. You can find some of the, like, that writing that has, like, a very... This whole game feels like a, it was written by a DM who was really excited to play D&D. You know? Like, <laughs> and, yeah. like you meet an NPC and they're like, Ah, Vaughn! I've been waiting for you to take care of my foodstuffs! And, like, yeah. it just... it just The game is very excited to show more of itself to you, and I'm so caught up in that. 
And I think like there, there is a attention to detail in like the cinematography that I haven't seen in other than maybe remake, like yeah. in a Final Fantasy game. Great. Yeah. It's it's great. I would recommend it. It's really even an hour in, like I'm 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 back in and I uh I think there's something really interesting to to take away from the Gambit system. Uh I think that that's something that like doesn't need to be like the sole focus of other games, but could be something that other games could benefit from having a version of. Yeah. Um I think Dragon Age Origins did it really well. Yeah, it, it's also worth mentioning uh, just about the Switch version um, that when it launched, it had a bunch of quality of life improvements, uh, which n- none of which I really understood because I hadn't played the original game, but apparently you're great from what I've seen from long-term fans. But that said, those quality of life improvements are now being rolled out to the PS4 and I think Xbox One and PC versions of the game as well. So if you already had the game, I think it's like an update that you're going to be able to download that'll get that stuff. So uh, worth checking out again, I guess, if you already have it. But if you're thinking about checking it out, you can get it anywhere. They're all the same version now, which is great. Yeah, I'm really excited to play more of it. I'm like really excited about it. Me too. I, I kind I of can't believe up. that this is... I don't know why. I don't know I don't know why this is happening to me now that I'm getting into Final Fantasy, but it, maybe it's just like a a long-term slow march towards this my whole life potentially but yeah very cool i don't know quarantine time for me has been jrpg time and that's been great (laughs) i mean it it makes sense i wonder now like if you ever return to 10 how that's gonna feel for you because that was the one that like i know originally i'm also like yeah yeah Yeah, i i re-downloaded on my vita so i have it again but i might get it for switch depending on how much i like playing 12 on switch but anyway yeah i i think that's that's gonna be the one and also nine i'm excited to check out again eventually um yeah yeah nine's great nine i think has like my favorite just like sense of humor and characters and stuff uh oh seven probably my favorite characters i don't know i I like them all i can't choose (laughs) uh steven i think it's time for us to wrap up we've been talking for a very long time already yeah i agree uh, I think we're going to um, touch on the Horizon stuff. We're going to touch on uh, more Persona 5R uh, in the future. Uh, yeah. That's something that I've been playing a lot of. Uh, I mentioned that in this episode that I just played it all day. And I'm I've been playing it since it. it came out and you have already caught up to me. <laughs> Don't fuck with me. Uh, no, I mean, I, I was sick. I'm sorry. Forgive me. But it's great. And I'm excited to talk about it. But that will be another time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think let's let's wrap up. Cool. Um, as always, thank you to everybody who listens to the show. Uh, if you want to help the sh- help, the, <laughs> wow. If you want to help the show grow, is the sentence I meant to say. Uh, the best way to do that is to share it with a friend who you think would like it. Uh, word of mouth is is kind of uh, the way this world works. Um, that said, if you're a new listener, we've actually gotten a bunch of new listeners recently. Thank you for dropping by. It's worth mentioning we have uh, a Twitter account at Into the Cast. We have um a twitch account also into the cast uh we have a wonderful wonderful discord that you can join by going to bit.ly slash twg discord or go to the worst garbage online and you'll find the link there um and we also have a patreon that's patreon.com slash into the cast um thank you so much to everybody who's backing the show at the moment that includes akira alex andrew d andrew d ariel bead benjamin d benjamin w bolt Brendan, Brett, Catherine, Christopher, David, Dennis, Elliot, Hilton, Inez, Jason, Jeff, Joary, Josh, uh, Cameron, Connor, Kieran, Kim, Kyle, Mark, Marcel, Marianne, Melly Muffin Pie, Micah, Min, Mary, Naomi, No Name, Pablo, Philip, Robert, Sloopeasy, Scout, Sebastian, Shelley, Skin Tight Alloy, Spencer, Trevor, and William. Thank you all so much for backing the show. Um, Thank you. 
as we've mentioned, ever since this whole thing started, um, if if backing the show puts you in any kind of financial risk at any at any point, uh, please do not hesitate to cancel your your backing of our Patreon. Uh, we completely understand and and welcome it if it means that you are safer and happier and healthier. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, yeah I, I second everything Brendan said. We really appreciate it. Honestly, like like we mentioned earlier in this episode, this show is kind of been a constant source of joy for Brendan and myself. And we're in constant disbelief that that it has reached so many people who have been outspoken on how much they enjoy it. Yeah. I, I think we're both proud of what we're making. So I don't want to be like, this piece of crap's getting an audience. But like, you know, it, it, it's still amazing. It's still it's still like my brain just kind of rejects it. And I and I use this segment of the show to remind myself and be grateful, uh, especially right now. Um, yeah. Uh, but yeah, we have some fun stuff coming up. We have our Animal Crossing bonus episode coming up soon. So excited for that. And uh, yeah, there's it's always a good feeling when we're done recording an episode and there are like three things I desperately want to play. And right now that's Zodiac Age, Animal Crossing, and Persona 5R. Yeah. Um, the hard same, and, uh, actually. Also, feel free to like send us... Uh, some of you have done this in the past, but if there's something that... Especially something new that you think like what needs more attention or like you're really enjoying like feel free to recommend stuff to us because like i especially this year like i i I don't feel super savvy with like everything that's coming out like i I have my eye on a lot but i am i'm always willing to kind of broaden my horizons and like be surprised by stuff yeah so like feel free to do that i I think that's how we both usually are but like you know it's still like with all these big releases it's very easy to be like my favorite games of the year were monsanto number one monsanto number two (laughs) Yeah. Big budget three, and of course Monopoly four. Mm-hmm. So, oh yeah, man, I would us- love to play Monopoly four. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think they adding an like ATV is- meter to Monopoly. <laughs> <laughs> I just I just saw like a metallic Vaughn on a Monopoly board in my head. Is this um, the longest time to title that we've ever had? <laughs> <laughs> Metallic Vaughn on Monopoly yeah. 4. That's my new password. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, just keep doing what you're doing. Uh, we, we hope you're safe and healthy and happy. Uh, and thank you so much for spending some time with us. And we'll be back next yeah, week. Yeah, we'll, we'll be back right. again this week, potentially also. <gasps> That's right. We'll be back on Monday uh, for the bonus. Well, we'll record Monday. Who the hell knows when it's coming out? Yeah. But it'll be it'll come out that week, and then you'll get us again. The state, the state posted. I stay guess. posted, everyone. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> stay posted. That's the wrong phrase. All right, get me out of here. Goodbye. The fallen star of Lucifer. Garbage dot online.